the Wildlife Observer Network. Welcome back to another episode of Herpin' Ain't Easy. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown. Mike McGraw, uh, the other usual co-host, is in the field right now doing some research in Canada. Um, I think he's having some trouble connecting, so we're just going to get started. Um, and we are here with Chelsea Connor. Chelsea, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Chelsea Connor. I'm from the Commonwealth of Dominica, and I study anoles. I'm, cur- I'm currently going to school in Texas, and um, I'm also a science communicator. So if you follow me on Twitter at Chelsea Herbs, I uh, talk about DEI and anoles, um, especially anoles. <laughs> <laughs> so what is an anole? For people who've never seen one before, what, what are we talking about? Um, Anoles are iguanian lizards. Um, they they are trop- tropical and subtropical. Um, so that means that there's like a certain region of the world that they live in uh, where it's like summer all the time. And um, they usually live in trees. Some of them do live in the grass. Um, and they're typically small, though some of them can get pretty large. Um, a lot of them are very colorful. And uh, one of the one of the things that um, denotes anoles is their their dewlap, and it's this little like fleshy on their neck that they can extend and retract, and they use that to like ward off other males and to attract mates. All right, so I will I will also interject a little bit of United States specific experience people might have. Two things. Number one. Um, is that these are these have often been sold in pet stores, um, or the the, the native uh, species to the southeast United States, the green anole, um, has often been Which sold. Which is not in pet- actually a distinct species. Oh well, we'll get you jump on that in a second. Let me just <laughs> give it. All right, so they. <laughs> so what I grew up as thinking of anolis, what is it, Carolinensis or something like that? Um, they. Okay. Uh, they are, they can change color from green to brown. And so they were sold as quote chameleons, even though they're not at all related to the real complaints. And they were the kind of thing you got in a pet store. And after a couple of weeks, it would look pathetic and die. Um, and they're, <clears throat> I know they're, they're not great. Pet. They're beautiful lizards. They're, 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 they're actually more challenging to keep as pets than people think. Um, and so I always discourage people from getting anoles as pets. Any case, that's the experience a lot of people in the States might have with them. And the other experience you might have with them is, especially if you, if you were in Florida or, or the Gulf Coast or visited family down there, you might have, like my grandparents, when I would visit them in Florida, um, yeah, there'd be green anoles, but there'd also be a whole lot of um, brown anoles, which are, uh, a, 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 you can get into this more also, I think like a mishmash of subspecies of this one species um, from, I don't know, Cuba and the Bahamas, probably, um, uh, but the brown anole, and then a bunch of other brownish anole species, like bark anoles and other things like that, that have been introduced through the plant trade, I think mostly into South Florida and other places. So that's how people probably know anoles, um, if you're from the States. Um, but Chelsea, what have I got wrong about green anoles? So, um, a study recently, and um, I can pull up exactly when that study was done, but it found that uh, 
green gnolls, Anolis carolinensis, aren't a distinct species. Um, they're actually still just Anolis porcatus, which is the Cuban green anole, which was originally thought to be um, the like species that it, yeah, <laughs> that it, um, that was the ancestor for this one in America. But it's like no, um, especially like recently with the introduction of Anolis porcatus to Florida, and people are like, well, how do we tell them apart? They're so similar, yeah. and like, and like they look the same and testing has been done it's like wait <laughs> um they are just the same lizard <laughs> you've blown my uh, mind because of naming conventions though because if they get renamed then it's gonna be Anolis carolinensis because that was described first so there'll be no more porcatus only in name the porcatus oh, is still gonna be the, the only green and all, but the name is going to be Carolinensis for both of them. This has like overtones of like United States Cuba geopolitics here. I, I, I find this amazing. Um, so, uh, but that's just, so we're just, we, so far we've mentioned, I think I've listed three species, right? I've, met, I've mentioned Anolis yeah. segre or however you pronounce the brown and all. Um, Segrei. And Segrei is native to Cuba and Bahamas. Um, and it is called a brown anole, which I've realized confuses people because some people think that um, they're like, well, isn't the brown anole just the green anole when it turns brown? It's like, yeah, yeah. no, good point that the name is confusing. But uh, so for those two, I tend to use their scientific names when I talk about them because okay. then it makes it easier for people to follow. Um, but then, like you said, Florida has a lot of other anoles as well as like the bark anole, um, Allisoni recently. Um, there's Garmani and Equestris, which are, uh, um, those are some big ones. crown giant anoles. They're the bigger anoles. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Equestris is the biggest anole species. It is the Cuban night anole and it is found in Florida now too. <laughs> so those of you guys who are listening and are just new to anoles, um, you might be thinking, oh, they've mentioned like a few species. Perhaps they've mentioned most of the anoles that are out there. Um, but no. <laughs> <laughs> How many anoles are there named at this point? There are currently 436 recognized species of anoles. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Um, so That's all. There's, <laughs> there's more out there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so and, uh, um, Earlier you mentioned that they were sold as chameleons. There actually are six species of false, false chameleon anoles. So... <laughs> So they're like more chameleon-like. Right <laughs> there are six species of adults that look like chameleons. They have the independently mobile eyes. Oh, really? And they're slow moving. And yeah, they're Do also they called the snail-eating adults because uh, I think so. Yeah. That's so weird. So I'll back up. I'll, I'll while you're looking that up, I'm gonna quickly say that chameleons are an old-world group of lizards that are highly evolved to be really cryptic and hard to spot, right? So they have, um, famously, they can change your skin color, but really like, for me, the coolest thing about them are their eyes and their tongue. So they have these eyes that can like swivel independently. And then they have really long tongues that they can like whip out and grab stuff. Um, several species of them have evolved like horns for combat. Like they're just, they're super interesting animals, um, but they're not anoles. But what Chelsea is saying, which is what is like, so when I'm, I'm 43, right? 
And so I grew up as the, the nerdy kid on the block who's really into reptiles and amphibians. And I've been reading about this stuff since I was probably five. Um, and so when someone's like, oh, there's this whole group of lizards you've never heard of, then like that, that's pretty impressive to me. So what are these chameleon, false chameleon anoles? Yeah, so they're false chameleons. Um, there's six different species. Um, from what I can find, their tails aren't prehensile, so that's the thing that they have in common with the rest of the anoles. They have the, um, they, they can't. They're not able to drop their tails. Okay. Unlike other anoles, but they do have the the chameleon eyes. Um, it's not as highly mobile as an actual chameleon, but they are still independently mobile to um, very to like some degree, um, and they. They are, they're like, they're like medium sized, I want to say, uh, but they're also called snail eating anoles. So they don't, they don't eat uh, like chameleons do. They just look like them, uh, okay. but they eat snails. They're specialized to eat snails so they can crunch through their shells and eat snails. That is also impressive. Um, so they are very impressive. <laughs> but that's, that's actually not what we brought you here to talk about. Um, we are going to talk about, um, so, so anoles are cool for lots of great reasons. Um, but one of the reasons that, that once you get into like, um, into deeper into herpetology or discussions of evolutionary biology, um, you hear a lot about anoles. And so this is where they get beyond just kind of like fantasy, like, uh, fascinating facts about animals to like, um, teaching us something about evolution. So, uh, why do people, I mean, the, the 400 plus species should be a hint, but why do people get into studying anoles as model? I don't say model organisms, but like that's right, not quite the right word, but as like um, as as examples of evolution. Uh, anoles are are highly adaptable lizards. Um, even within a single tree, uh, you will see that different species of anoles have partitioned themselves um, in different microhabitats within there. And those um, different adaptations are actually called ecomorphs. And um, they've adapted to perfectly fit at a different level in the tree. So earlier I talked about the Cuban night anole and I said that it, it and Garmani are crown giants. And what that means is that they are the larger anoles that live all the way in the top of a tree. And they are their toe pads, their size, their limb length are all adapted to make sure that they can live up there in a tree and move on those branches and those leaves perfectly. And in like different levels on the tree, there's different variations in the limb length and toe size and body size as well um, as you go down. And then there's even the grass bush anoles that are adapted for moving um, along slender pieces of grass and twigs uh, with their body size and body and, and limb length. And um, being able to observe them doing that uh, is something that lizard biologists find really interesting. Um, with the green anoles in America, with the recent introduction of the brown anoles, we noticed that 
the green anoles are in fact trunk crown anoles and they have been returning to that microhabitat that they have and they've also been further adapting even more to that microhabitat that they you know used to occupy because before when they had the free range then they could go wherever they wanted to now with the introduction of other anoles they're returning to that area and um adapting further to to being on that part of the tree where they once were so I got a question for you then. So if we got anoles that typically occur at different, um, in the, the, the sort of micro, um, you use, what term did you use, microhabitat or micro something else? Microhabitat. Yeah, microhabitat. Yeah. So you've got like, like our, our trunk anoles, we've got crown anoles, um, we have anoles that move between the ground and like, and bushes and, and then the grass anoles. So if you take a particular place in, in their range, let's say Cuba um, versus... Uh, somewhere further away, let's say Dominica, um, are the are we looking at let's say trunk anoles that are particularly closely related to each other versus let's say the crown anoles? Um, is is the are the the anoles that occupy a particular micro micro habitat um, across the range related to each other, or are these uh, are, are these habitat preferences and adaptations that have evolved? over and over again on every island and every place they live? Well, they have, in fact, evolved over and over again on the different islands and places where they live. Um, sometimes the anoles do end up being closely related. So there's a whole there's a whole proposed um, group of lizards that um, so are supposed to have stemmed from the Cuban green anole, Anolis porcatus, and they all have that like pointy head and they all um, are supposed to be the same uh, ecomorph, which is what is called that that specific right. like adaptation for the uh, microhabitat. There's also supposed to be trunk crown anoles. Um, sometimes you have an instance where they are closely related, but sometimes um, they are, they really do just evolve on their own in different islands. Once they find the the niche, the specific place that they, they fit in, they adapt further to being in that place. Yeah. It's it is this is that's the part that gets me excited. I find this fascinating. So so they and then when you look at and I remember from my rudimentary knowledge of the null evolution, um, that and I, I forget how this goes, but if you have one species of anole on an island, it occupies X um, type of microhabitats or a, a, a range of them. If you have two, then they divide up a certain way. If you have three, then they tend to divide up a certain way. Can you run through that? However quickly it makes sense to run through. Yeah. So that's called niche partitioning. Um, and that's just when they, they, uh, separate themselves according to what niche or what, what area they fit in best. Um, so like you said, um, on my island, Dominica, originally we had the one endemic anole, and it was everywhere. It did everything. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, it, it was in houses, it was on trees, it was on the ground, it did whatever it felt like. And then with the introduction of the invasive anole, Anolis cristatellus, the Puerto Rican crested, uh -huh. um, that is a trunk ground anole, and it is an established trunk ground anole, because that's the, that's the ecomorph that it it has that's where it lives um in puerto rico that's how it's been partitioned with the other knolls in puerto rico so coming here it's like okay well i'm a trunk around a knoll i this is my space so the um 
the endemic anole that we have, um, Anolus oculatus, the eyed anole, had to, uh, you know, the trunk, there, some of them are trunk crown. So they, they adapted back into that specific habit and they've partitioned themselves um, according to that. So let's do a quick, um, actually for a lot of people who, uh, who might not be so familiar with Dominica, um, what is it like? How big is it? What kind of, what kind of like landscape is there? What kind of habitats? So um, Dominica is a tropical island. It's a volcanic island, meaning it was formed by volcanoes. There's a lot of active volcanoes on the island still, a lot of geothermal activity, especially like um, we have this beach called Champagne Beach because there's a lot of geothermal vents when you that you can see when you go snorkeling. Uh, so there's a lot of like bubbles all the time. That's why it's called Champagne. <laughs> it's really corny, but I love it. I love it. It's a good name. Um, the area is 751 square kilometers, and according to the internet, that is 290 square miles, in case you use miles. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so I, I think, uh, actually, now I'm really curious with the square. You keep going. Tell us about, like, the landscape and everything. Yeah, so it's, because it it's a vol- uh, volcanic island, it is mountainous um like the middle of it is pretty much an entire mountain range and everybody lives mostly on the coast of the island um we have a lot of dense forests and um the vast majority of it is untouched um and if you if you know anything about tourism in the Caribbean, you will know that um, Dominica is called the Nature Isle of the Caribbean because it <laughs> is yeah because there's so much untouched forest. So for a quick size um, reference, of, oh go ahead, sorry. Um, so, um, I was just saying there's there's a lot of endemic species on the island as well. Um, and I feel like there's more that haven't been discovered yet because some of the some of the forests can be a bit difficult to get to. There's not trails leading everywhere, but from what we know so far, there are still a decent amount of them. Okay, so um, I was I was just checking to see comparing this your land area to to cities. So it's it's about half of Los Angeles, um, or a little bit bigger than Chicago. Um, and so in terms of land area, one of the it's it endemism is always fun on uh, especially to me like when you're on what seems like i literally islands but small areas describe it oscillate what did you call an eyed or oscillated anole i'm sorry oh so the uh scientific name is anolus oculatus and it's okay. called the eyed anole or the dominican anole or the dominican eyed anole <laughs> and <laughs> it's it, called that because like? um yeah. some of the some of them have eye spots on the side of their bodies. So here's the thing about my um, Arnold. It has uh, four recognized ecotypes, and ecotypes are, um, there's not enough genetic differences to um, substantiate them being called subspecies. So they're called ecotypes, um, which just means there's different geographic um like for different geographic um, areas, like on my island, the different parts of the island, it will look different, but it's still the same one species. Yeah, and this is its own fun topic of how you how you divvy up life on Earth into into species, etc. Um, but I'll say this is a really pretty anole. Um, 
It is really pretty. There's the Montane Ecotype, which has the the green tones, um, and then it has a lot of like spotting all over. Um, The spotting is white, but it can be kind of like, there's like a a hint of blue to the spotting as well. That one um, will have the eye spots on occasion. They don't always have them. And the eye spots can either be one or two, or sometimes three on one side, and uh, it's mirrored the same on the other side. Um, there's a North Caribbean ecotype, um, which is, it's like a, a tan color to a brown. It has white marbling on it. There's like a white marbling pattern on, yeah. on it. That one also has, um, often has the, the eye spots as well. The South Caribbean, um, uh, which is pretty pretty much like pretty similar to the North Caribbean, but it is distinctly smaller in size. Um, it does not um, frequently have the eye spots that I've noticed. And then there's the Atlantic ecotype, which um, you find on the uh, east coast of the island. And that one has more like chocolatey brown, orange colors to it. And yeah. um, it also has um, a decent amount of spotting going on, like the Montane. And um, I think it's one of the ones that less frequently have the eye spot. So this is, this is, and so two thoughts. One is that like looking at pictures of them, the remnants to like reference another island occurring lizard, they look a little bit like day geckos. And then the other thing um, I noticed about them is that you're talking about this kind of diversity, again, in a land area that's like roughly the size of Chicago. And so it's like, it's just impressive that you can have, you can have, um, habitat types that are distinct enough to imply or to, to, to point to different um, ecotypes being adaptive, I guess. And then you also have um, presumably, I don't know, barriers to mixing um, or, or do you have like, it, it, like contact zones where they kind of blend together? Yeah, there are a lot of places where they overlap and you can find like two different ecotypes there. And they do definitely still mate because there's nothing stopping them from mating. Um, that's yeah. like they're they're not distinct species. Um, they are still all the same species. They just look different. Yeah. Sometimes you're like catching an all and you're like, is it a montane? Is it Atlantic? You're not sure because those features have like they've mixed in together. Um, and that happens fairly often. But if you go to like certain areas like um there's this place called Freshwater Lake, which is up a mountain. It's a lake up a mountain um, in Cloud Forest. And you oh. only find montane ecotype there. So all of the anoles there are green. They're the green that you expect for the montane ecotype. Yeah. Um, if you go all the way north um, to my hometown, you will find the North Caribbean ecotype. And they all have those distinct, distinct features that you expect um, for the North Caribbean um, and there are places on the East Coast where you will find the, the Atlantic as you expect to see them. But like if you're in the places in between, uh, like the Montane occupy like the middle of the island where the, mon- the mountains are. If you yeah. go around those, then you find, tend to find that overlap that I was talking about. That's awesome. Um, so what about them are you and, studying? Um, oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, some ecotypes are one ecomorph if you remember the ecomorph yeah. is the the adaptation to the microhabitat so some are are trunk ground and some are trunk crown okay so uh, i what are you studying about them like what's your research deal with 
So I'm looking at the dietary niche overlap of the invasive and native anoles. Ah, so what do they eat? Yes. Um, one of the things that you, you want to look at when it comes to the conservation of um, endemic species is different stressors and interactions that they have with the other species around them and any competition they might be facing. Um, so with this introduced anole um, and like like a lot of people say with um, anole populations that they've noticed when a new one has been introduced, it's like, okay, I see less of this anole. So is seeing less of this anole, um, does that mean that the population is dropping or is it just hidden now? And um, one of the things we're looking at is, okay, well, is there competition for food? Because that is a vital um, thing when you're looking at inter or intraspecies competition, it's, it's food source. Um, so if they're eating the same things, uh, the the Christotelis is a very aggress aggressive anole. Is it uh, is it eating more than the Oculatus? Is it pushing the Oculatus out of its regular hunting um, hunting grounds and eating all of the the prey items that it would normally have available to it, and therefore affecting the population? So. What are so? How, are you able to talk about what you're finding about what they're eating yet? Um, well, considering that I did present some of this at a conference, there you go. Uh, we're not done with the testing, but I did present some of it at a conference in January up to like where we're done. Um, unfortunately, we're not done yet because the lab is still closed because of COVID. Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> but I can tell you that so far, um, what we found so far is that they seem to be eating completely different um, kinds of food. And I think a part to play in that is that uh, some populations of oculatus are different um, ecomorphs than the Christotelis. So at a ground level and at a, a, tr a trunk, uh, like a mid trunk level, you're going to find different insects because Insects also have their different microhabitats, yeah, and yeah. you're definitely going to be eating different things. And there definitely is also the the overlap, um, because again, some of them are trunk ground, so those are also going to be eating some of the same things that um, that you see the chrysotelis eating. Um, but there is there's very little overlap in between them. So how do you tell what they're eating? So, uh, I collected poop. <laughs> I was going to ask. I was, yeah, you, you, I collected, you collected fecal samples. Um, I got a hundred, over a hundred, um, probably like 150. I don't remember. How do you collect number. the samples? So when you, when you catch the lizard, uh, so you lasso the lizard and you get it in hand. I know what you mean. But we gotta talk about that. So, so you say lasso. I think of lizard noosing. But, but talk to people who've never had the fun of of lassoing or noosing lizards. How do you how do you catch a lizard with a string? Um, okay, so uh, lassoing is the same thing as noosing. It's just uh, using a different word because of the negative connotations to noosing. And so with uh, with. With lassoing the lizards, it's um, string on uh, 
it, it is a fishing pole. I'm just gonna be honest. Yeah. It's straight on a fishing pole. I've done it. You're and right. it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little it's it's a little loop, and you slip it around the lizard's neck. Like after you extend your pole, slip it around his neck, and you pull, and their weight helps it like keep them on the loop. Yeah, I mean it. it and it, is, uh, it doesn't yeah, hurt it, them. It doesn't hurt them. Yeah, no, the 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 you're not really cutting off their airways, I guess. Um, I remember this when I was a kid doing this, that it's, it's fun, but it can be, what I always found frustrating about it is that I would have this like little loop of, of fishing line, I usually use fishing line, um, and then like a little breeze would catch it, and then like the loop would just be like knocked sideways off the lizard's nose or something, and I was like, just get, get on his neck. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun, it's pretty like you said, pretty harmless. Um, last wing does sound a lot better. Um, but yeah, so you catch them and then what, once you got them, you, you've looped them, you've taken them out of the loop, what do you do next? So as it's last defense, um, obviously avoid touching the lizard's tail because they need that defense mechanism in case they encounter a real predator. So holding a lizard as a defense mechanism, it's, it's, it's very likely it's going to poop on you. Like, oh no, please let me go yeah. here. <laughs> it craps this tastes yeah, bad. Like I do too. Yeah. Please. <laughs> so, um, that's like one way you can collect it. Another way is um, uh, you could hold on to them. So, so, so sometimes when I go out to site and I'd be going with students, when I was doing my data collection, I had students with me, um, high school students that I'd be teaching about the research that I'm doing. And um, we either have them in a canvas bag uh, because they would also need to be measured and have, well, uh, sometimes we'd measure them in the field, but we do still need pictures of them and um, holding on to them gives them more time to poop. Sometimes they've just eaten and they haven't like processed the <laughs> insects yet to, <laughs> to give you that poop. Um, we don't hold them for more than a day. Um, uh, if we if we do end up holding them for more than a, a day, um, they get released like immediately as soon as that day is over. But um, what you can do sometimes if it's a little if it's a little they're, if they're being really stingy and they don't want to give you the poop, you <laughs> you you could press lightly on their stomachs. There's a way to to encourage them to poop. Uh, it takes it takes some some practice to know like where to push. It doesn't hurt them because you're not doing it hard. You're just like gently like rubbing their tummies, <laughs> like please please help me out here, and then it just like comes out. Just like there it is. <laughs> All right, so, so so that is that's a special skill set that I I hope your friends can appreciate in your family too. Um, do you uh, so now that you have uh, and this is not a large this is not a large poop. I've seen an old poop. Um, no. <laughs> now you got the poop. What do you do with it? So the poop goes into a vial. Um, wow. I just, I forgot what's in the vial. Dang. I haven't had to look at this vial, look at this vial for so long. I've forgotten what we Water, had. Water, alcohol. Um, it was a urea solution, I think. I definitely have it written down somewhere. Well, it's in a vial with something that preserves it, right? Yes. That's the important I'm part. Sorry. Okay. So then how do you analyze the poop once you've you've got it in the vial? What do you do with it then? You take it back to a lab and a microscope? So um, 
once I had all the poop samples and everything is is labeled, so every anole got a number. Um, the the number was on its bag. The number was in the background of its picture, and then the number is on the vial with its poop and its data sheet with its information, its its size measurement, its cloacal temperature. So cloacal temperature is um, we have a special thermometer that we put insert into their cloacas to get oh. their internal temperature. Four anoles, okay. <laughs> They they were very happy about that and having the poop squeeze out of them. Those were two things they were like, oh, really? You're doing that to me? <laughs> um, we got their perch temperature as well. The perch temperature is where they're sitting, temperature yep. where they're sitting, um, and the ambient temperature. So all of those things are on its data sheet with its number, and that number is on the vial with that anole's poop. So... Um, all 100 something samples got like put in the little box. All the vials got put in the little box. Uh, both of the boxes got in my suitcase with my permits and off to America. And then once we got here, they were taken to the lab. And the lab that we're using is a colleague's lab at TCU. It's Dr. Dean Williams. And um, what we do there is extract the DNA from the, the fecal samples. Oh, I had this oh. idea of you like with a microscope looking at like little bug parts, like, and trying no. to, oh, okay. So, yeah, so, um, gosh, it's, such, it's, a, it's a really long involved process. And um, I'm not quite sure how to explain it for people who, who don't know well, you, about DNA extraction. But, Don't worry about um, that in those details. But you extract of, DNA of, of and you analyze it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mixing that happens and the DNA is taken out of the out of the poop. <laughs> and then um, it is sequenced, um, looking specifically for insect DNA. Okay. All right, and that tells you what they ate. Yeah. Cool. Some um Seminole ate a, a millipede and I was like, look at you, proud of you. I hear eating millipedes is ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> so um so cool. So this is your research. Do you uh um how much longer where are you like in the process of collecting data, analyzing data, writing it up? Um so we have a small amount of samples left to test and um, as soon as uh, they're able to go back into the lab uh, the, once the COVID regulations have um, changed and they're able to go back in there safely um, then the, the, the testing will be able to, to be completed with the small amount of remaining samples and then I can finish writing because I actually have been very good. I've, I went ahead and I started writing um, like before I got the rest of the the data, so I was like, I was like, you know what? Let me let me start writing up something so that I'm not like frantically like, oh my god, I need to write. And I'm very proud of myself that I went ahead and start that. But uh, it won't be very. If, well, there's not a lot left to do, so hopefully those couples and samples can get extracted and sequenced, and we can have those those results. Awesome. Good luck. Um, and so after this, what do you want to do? What do you, you want to keep studying anoles or, or find other animals to sample food from? I do want to keep studying anoles. I'm actually like, uh, frantically, <laughs> frantically looking at PhD programs. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I need to, um, cause I've had so much happen. Um, 
especially like COVID and then um, Black Birders Week and all of that. And I was like, okay, I need to get back to my like PhD search. <laughs> yeah. I need to find find this. All right. But well, um, I would love to continue working on those. I love Anoles so much. Um, I, I talk about them every week. I draw them. I I just I just wanna I just wanna look at my lizards for the rest of my life. <laughs> You're in the right line of work. All right. So I wanna wrap up actually with one question I forgot to ask you. How did you end up studying anoles? So when I got to Texas and I got introduced to my advisor, um, first thing he told me he was like, "Oh, I do research on your island," and I'm like do you mean the Dominican Republic? He's like, no, I mean, Dominica, I know your island. He's like, I know people don't normally know your island, but I know your island. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, all right. I'm like, well, what research do you do? And he's like, I do research on the annuals. And I like, I'm like, hmm? And um, then he used the local name for it. He's like, I think you guys call it Zandoli. That's um, the local name for uh, the lesser Antillian name on my island for the annual lizards. Say it one more time. Zandoli. Okay. It's Z-A-N-D-O-L-I. Neat. I'd never heard that before. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, of Lesser Antillian Creole names for animals on the different islands that a lot of people don't know about. Cool. And I was like, oh, oh, those lizards. Okay, I know exactly what lizards you're talking about. I love them. They're fun. And he's like, do you do you want to go research them? Because you'll get to go home, but you'll also get to, like, do this really cool research. And for some time, I, was, I, I like, thought that I wouldn't be able to do it. I was like, I don't know. I have never seen anybody like me doing research. There aren't even, like, people who look like me on TV um, doing animal stuff. Like, I would, like, I, I always knew that I wanted to work with animals, and I just thought that I would, like, work quietly in the background somewhere because I didn't I didn't have that frame of reference at first and then I was like you know what why can't I just be the first one to do it why not and um, at no point ever did my advisor tell me that I can do it he kept telling me go ahead and do it <laughs> and I was the one who was like I don't know about that but then finally I was like you know what you're absolutely right I don't know why I'm doubting myself and you're so clearly not doubting me <laughs> Um, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I, I accepted it. And I, I like looked up these lizards. Um, he gave me a couple books and I was like, oh, okay. These are actually kind of, these lizards are actually kind of cool. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with them. And so then you, I like Googled anoles and then I saw how many anoles there were. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Wait, so you didn't grow up chasing anoles and... Um, I I grew up watching my brother Jason Olds. Um, uh, we also okay. have, a, yeah, uh, because there's a way that we catch them at home with like um uh like stalk of grass. You can tie it into if you get like um a fairly new stalk of grass, you can like tie it into that loop and um catch the lizards with it. So I grew up watching my brother do it and his friends and like other boys in my school. And I like, I really wanted to, but then I was like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know how to do it. Um, so I've, I've, I've been watching the lizards my whole life. Yeah. I've just 
never known how to interact with them. Um, we also have uh, a ground lizard, an amoeba, and I like I've I've watched that my whole life too. Um, I've watched one too. My brother actually. It's hilarious. These these are <laughs> these are the people don't know. These are um, very fast lizards that um, I don't know if you can lasso them, but they are. Uh, no, because there's no like there's no um no delineation between <laughs> head and their neck. They don't have a neck, just so it slips right off. Yeah. So wait, Chelsea, I want to zero in on one more thing. So you said, and this is this is audio, right? So people can't see us, and it might be sort of obvious to you and me. When you said you didn't see people like you doing field biology and stuff, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So what I mean is, I didn't see black people doing field biology. I am black. <laughs> I am just realizing now you're right. This is audio. People can't see. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I I I grew up watching Animal Planet and Discovery Channel with my dad. I like Steve Irwin was like one of my earliest uh, wildlife heroes. Definitely white. <laughs> yeah. All of all of Jeff my Corwin, early wildlife heroes guy. were yeah. all white men. Yeah. yeah. They were all white men, and I thought, like, like this is something that white people do. This is something that they have the space to do. They're they're the ones allowed to go out like this, and um, you know, run around with animals, and especially run around animal with animals on TV. Um, maybe I'll just be a zookeeper. And I have always wanted to work more in depth with animals, but I just didn't think that I would be able to because I didn't think that people thought that people like me wanted to do that. And I didn't think that there were people like me who were doing that. What kind of, uh, so now that you're doing it and you mentioned you're an educator and um, you got your social media streams, do you, uh, what do you hear from the, 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 the Chelsea's of the future for kids who are like you were, let's say 10 years ago? Um, I haven't, I I haven't like gotten any feedback from any kids, but um, I hope that they're out there watching and they're 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 watching me do this. They're they're watching yeah. this this journey, um, and they're realizing that they can they can do this too. Um, they're not alone. Like I hope that there's a lot of like young black girls out there who like come across my Instagram or my Twitter and they see pictures of me holding lizards and like talking about birds. Cause yep. I, I love birds too. I'm, I'm also a birder. It's like, I hope that they see that and they go, Oh, there are people like me doing this. And it's like, yes, <laughs> yes, there are. There's no limits to what you can do and don't let anybody put a limit on you. Thank you. Um, and so really quick before I wrap up, what are your handles on social media? So my Twitter is at Chelsea Herps. That's C-H-E-L-S-E-A-H-E-R-P-S. And my Instagram is different. I'm sorry about that. It's at out to Chelsea. So O-U-T-T-O and Chelsea. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. And yeah. so, oh, check out my anole stickers. Um, it's chelseaherps.redbubble.com. I draw anole stickers, so I do accurate color representation, color and pattern representation of anole dewlaps in the form of popsicles. 
<laughs> I definitely will. That's that is it popsicles. Yes, because okay. they're so brightly Sorry. colored. Um, a friend said to me a couple times, "It's like anoles have such brightly colored popsicle doolaps," and I was like, "You know what?" That's the concept. I'm going to draw that. And I drew it and I was like, you know what? That's amazing. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> all right. I can't think of a better way to end. Um, so please do check out Chelsea and all of her online personae and, and activities, especially the Dulap Popsicles. Um, so this has been another episode of the Herpin' and Easy podcast. I should mention, which I forgot to mention in the beginning, that this is part of the Wildlife Observer Network. We've got a bunch of wonderful sibling podcasts. Please check them all out. Um, and, uh, please tune in. Uh, we're not, I don't actually don't know what we'll do next. Um, I think we we'll, might talk with Mike about some of his herping trips to Kansas, um, and the great plains. Uh, and, um, we'll hear more about that then, but until then, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>